This is Jacob Ewing with the AWC City Voice Podcast, where we explore the issues that impact Washington cities. In early February, AWC held our City Action Days conference. Over the course of the conference, we held several roundtable discussions on issues impacting cities around Washington, like economic development, housing, transportation, and police reform. Today, we're going to hear clips from the roundtable discussion on police reform. We were honored to be joined by and hear from three representatives. Representative Deborah Entman of the 47th District, Representative Jesse Johnson of the 30th District, and Representative Jacqueline Maycumber of the 7th District. Each representative provided us with a briefing on their police reform bills, as well as answered questions from our audience. We'll start off today's podcast hearing from Representative Johnson. Representative Johnson is a former city council member from Federal Way. He's the prime sponsor on several bills, including House Bill 1054, which reforms tactics and equipment law enforcement officers are allowed to use, House Bill 1203, which establishes police community oversight boards, and House Bill 1310, which creates a statewide use of force standard. Here's Representative Johnson introducing himself and discussing his work on police reform in Washington. My name is Jesse Johnson, and I represent the 30th Legislative District. Um, I've had the opportunity to serve as vice chair of the Public Safety Committee this year, and also to serve on our House Police Leadership Team since June. And this police leadership team, also including Representative Intamin, has been working on police reform and accountability uh, with community, with law enforcement, and with local uh, departments for the past seven months. And what we've come to find is we actually agree on a lot of issues, uh, law enforcement and community. We think that rethinking public safety for different communities and rethinking the scope of the work and the roles and responsibilities is appropriate. And also um, further defining what public safety looks like, uh, requiring less lethal alternatives, but also requiring that we provide the less lethal alternatives for officers to do their jobs in a safe and efficient manner. Uh, and finally, strengthening accountability and transparency. Um, we know that justice is what love looks like in public, and we must make sure that we have accountability and transparency for our officers and for our communities. And that is a part of the process that we're doing um, with these bills. And finally, training. Uh, why are we doing training? Because we know that I-940 was implemented two years ago, but we still have not got all of our departments trained. And so I actually had a good meeting this week with the CJTC on that very subject and excited to see the efforts to expedite that process. Um, but these are emotionally charged issues. We know that this is also a pandemic. We have economic uncertainty, public health issues, trying to get our kids back to school. So there's so many issues that we're working on. But I think if we are gonna say as a state that preserving and protecting human life is the fundamental value of our law enforcement, we should uh, make sure that we enact policy that makes sense for the state. So um, I just wanted to say, I think that uh, a lot of these, a lot of folks that have been commenting on the bills, I think these bills came out of nowhere or that they're Seattle led or they are um, based off the nationwide protests. These are uh, bills that were written in partnership directly with community members in our own communities from Federal Way to Spokane to Bremerton uh, across the state of Washington. And um, these bills are from impacted families of police violence, but they also have um, been working directly with uh, law enforcement officials, um, community oversight boards. Um, a huge proponent of that bill was the National Organization on Black Law Enforcement here in the state of Washington that helped write that bill. Um, Washington for Black Lives, Use of Force, Washington Coalition for Police Accountability, um, also in partnership with other law enforcement agencies. Um, police tactics, uh, fraternal order police, 
um, supporting a lot of the initiatives that we're doing in that field. So these are our own community members saying we need change. And um, I think that you know when we when we talk about policing, yes, we do need to fund our police officers, but we also need to hold our officers accountable for the job that they do. And I understand really, really clearly um, the work that our officers do. Um, I had an uncle in law enforcement, Solomon Federal Police Department for 25 years in the work that he did. But I think that it's important, and he would tell me this as well, that he would hate to see that his job was stained because of um, a lack of good policy. And I believe that um, bad cops come from bad policy. And by changing our policies, we're gonna get to a point where we see our state and our communities benefit. So I just really appreciate the talk here today. I think our bills um, are obviously are, are still in the process. There's a lot of work to do as we move forward, but um, it's gonna be important that we get these bills passed this year and give justice to our communities, so. Next, we'll hear from Representative Maycumber. Representative Maycumber is a former law enforcement officer who now represents the 7th District. She joined our roundtable shortly after helping pass three reform bills off the House floor. Representative Maycumber is the prime sponsor of three police reform bills. House Bill 1000, which establishes a pilot program to increase law enforcement officer access to mental health services. House Bill 1001, which creates a grant program for increasing diversity in a community's law enforcement. And House Bill 1392 forms mobile crisis intervention units across the state to help officers responding to mental health emergencies. Here is Representative Maycumber discussing House Bills 1088, 1089, and 1001, all of which just passed the House. We passed three bills just now, uh, really looking at if they're 1088. Uh, there, there is a little, they're just a small change that I know that we're going to fix and work out and then it will come back and I have good faith that it will almost be unanimous when that change is done. And that is if you do have an officer on the Brady list, we need to make sure that that continues on and that we really make sure that what is occurring, as you all know, the Brady list. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick pause here. We realize that not everyone might know what the Brady rule is. So here's a quick breakdown. The Brady rule comes from a 1963 U.S. Supreme Court case, Brady v. Maryland. The rule requires that the prosecution must turn over all exculpatory evidence to the defense counsel in a criminal case, whether the information is requested or not. With respect to police officers who are government witnesses, impeachment evidence can include a prior conviction related to dishonesty, misconduct involving dishonesty or abuse of authority, and evidence tending to show a bias or motive to lie. Thus, an officer with a history of dishonesty is placed on what is known as a Brady List, which is disclosable to defense counsels for impeachment purposes if the officer is called to the witness stand. I hope that explanation helped you better understand what the Brady Rule is. Let's head back to Representative Maycumber. Um, that nobody kind of gets lost in that shuffle. And, and we recognize good cops are rewarded and, and we make sure if there are bad that we, we handle those situations. Um, that was kind of, you know, uh, we had a mixed uh, vote today, 1089 today, which really looks at um, investigations of fatalities. 
um, to see, you know, independent investigations. It takes that fiscal note off of you guys. So that's kind of like another, you know, takes a, a good load and off of those issues. And it has an independent investigation that I believe went out almost unanimously. There was a handful of no's. Uh, so 1001 that you just mentioned that increases more diversity in law enforcement just passed out of the house unanimously. I've had this policy a couple years in a row. Sometimes um, you can say, hey, you know, let's work on our next generation. Let's work on issues. And um, everybody's like, but this is not a problem. And then something occurs and we go, okay, let's talk about tomorrow. Let's talk about our interactions with communities. Let's talk about our interactions with the next generation. Uh, so 1001 for, uh, does a grant program to really look at those um, communities and those uh, relationships and build it from the ground up. When you're doing reactionary policing, which we have done, you're really not having that one-on-one -on -one contact with the communities. So there's, we're moving and we're communicating, which is the most important part about this. Uh, communication is what we've been needing to do over the years, but now that we recognize that we have a miscommunication or we have a, a really a relationship issue with communities, then it's time to see how do we, uh, how do we better it and how do we build it up from the ground up. And so this, uh, some of these policies really allow um, that building of that community and that uh, relationship and that trust that we can move forward to the next generation. Representative Entenman represents the 47th Legislative District. She is prime sponsor on two important bills. House Bill 1267 creates the Office of Independent Investigations to conduct inquiries into the use of deadly force by law enforcement officers. House Bill 1507 establishes a unit of independent prosecutors in the Attorney General's office. These prosecutors would be used in cases where other prosecutors may have a conflict of interest. Here's Representative Entenman discussing her bills, explaining how they continue the work of I-940, as well as discussing the work that she did over the course of the last year helping to develop these bills. Please note that, as we are all at home right now, Representative Entenman's dog does make a brief appearance in this clip. Thank you for inviting me to speak about the bills that I am proposing in this legislative session. As we have watched the uprising um, nation, excuse me, nationwide and really all over the world, and we have seen here in Washington that um, with the Manny Ellis case in Tacoma, we have had 940, but there is more work to be done. I-940 called for independent, um, local independent investigations and for when police use deadly force that they not investigate themselves. But what we have found is that there have been many police departments who did not um, follow I-940. And so we are coming back to improve I-940 by having HB one, two, six, seven. That sets up an independent investigative body. What we plan, this is what we plan is to have 10 regional investigative bodies all over the state. This is governor sponsored legislation and came from a task force that the governor set up starting in March. And what we have found in our state was people wanted something more. And so there were police, there were prosecutors, and they all participated in a task force. Now, this task force wasn't um, something that was easy to put together and not, all, not always easy to hold together, but they did come out with recommendations. And the two major recommendations were that we needed an independent investigative body 
that would be regional. So we needed more than one group of investigators. So we had decided on 10 um, and we need an independent prosecutorial body. And we are going to put that underneath the attorney general's office um, because we think that we don't have enough trained people to be completely independent um, in the way that some of the family members wanted to recommend. So this is a compromise in having it in the attorney general's office. This is new. We had to look to Ontario, um, Canada for um, our closest example of what an independent investigator would look like. So, um, but what families are hoping for is true independent investigations that are fair and if it's necessary to bring charges against the police officer and to actually prosecute that law enforcement officer if they have found to be in violation. It is challenging to try to do this work. It is challenging to bring this legislation, but I am very hopeful that we both of these will make it past the finish line and become law in this legislative session. During our roundtable discussion, city officials posed a number of questions to our state representatives. Here is Representative Maycumber responding to a question about the importance of community policing and community oversight. Uh, talking about community policing from the ground up, I have a fear if we continue um, to oversee it as a statewide issue, you lose a lot of that local government uh, regulation, that local government control. And then you have what is, um, you know, a almost a statewide policing. And I think that is exactly where I don't want to go. I don't want to, if you have a problem, call a 1-800 number. If you don't like how your local police is handling, call the governor, he'll get back to you. I want to make sure that uh, local uh, policing is responsive immediately to our local governments and to our local police chiefs. If we move too far to um, statewide control, then you really lose that hands-on approach to where you can have more immediate responses when things aren't going correct. Now, we all know how ESD works and how things can get. If it gets too big and you have a problem, it's a lot. it takes a lot longer to really work out. Um, if we can keep policing responsive to our local governments, to AWC, to our local elected chiefs or sheriffs, um, it's a, you get that that more responsive community policing, and I know that it's going to get better. Um, I know it can get better, and I, as someone who has worn the uniform, has someone whose best friends um, who work in community policing departments back east, where there's a lot more officers per capita, and they just have a different relationship. A very good friend of mine is an African American lieutenant. Um, he was getting coffee the other day and he, we were laughing about this and he walked up and found the woman who's been bashing out all the women, the, the windows um, down at dispatch. And he walked up with coffee and was like, hey man, like I caught you, could you just walk with me? And he was carrying all the coffees and they have a different perspective and there's more community policing and she just walked with them. And so knowing that there is a positive response, that there is a way of building community trust that you can have those interactions that are positive and that um, come from a place of service and peace. Uh, I think we will have it, but we do have to invest in it. We have to make it a priority. Several city leaders raised concerns about how police are now expected to respond to situations outside of the training they receive. Representative Entman took a moment to specifically respond to the role police officers play responding to people experiencing mental health crises. Police 
reform and the police accountability um, project that I have been able to work on this, pa this past year has included many things, including making sure that our peace officers are only doing what they are trained to do. And so we have a responsibility as a state to train behavioral health professionals that can ride along with police officers, which in some cases that will work. And in other cases, they will go out independently. I know that there are other places who have asked that we not send police out on these calls where someone is having a mental health crisis because what we see is the use of deadly force in the end of someone's life. So we do believe that there should be some variation in what communities want to have. I believe that we as a legislature should support those things. And we are trying really hard to create a equitable public safety system throughout Washington state. During the roundtable, Police Chief Brian Smith of Port Angeles brought up his department's state accreditation and how it has benefited his community. Attendees were curious if the state should implement a mandated accreditation program for Washington police departments. Representative Johnson shared his thoughts on such a requirement. One thing that I've learned in the process is every police department is different. Um, police culture isn't a monolith. It's not the same across the system. So I do appreciate that comment. I think that um, accreditation plays a major role, actually, because um, obviously you have to be held to that CALEA standard. I think that a lot of departments in our state are actually living up to that standard. And so if there is a best practices that can be distributed for departments across the state from that, I would be interested in seeing that. I know from a CJTC standpoint in officers coming in, uh, one of the things that we want to make happen is all the different changes we're making, officers that are not only new to the profession, but have been there 20, 30 years, just like I'm in education, uh, teachers have to be retrained um, every year, essentially. And so I think the same should be for officers that um, we retroactively retrain our officers to fit the context of the time that we're living in. And so um, I think no matter the department, no matter the accreditation standard, it's important that we have training based on the standards we're implementing. And these standards we're implementing are coming out of nowhere. I was just talking to someone the other day, these are community asking for these changes. So when you look at the police tactics, the community has asked for decades to ban chokeholds and 17 departments across our state already banned chokeholds and neck restraints. And so we're already doing this work. It's just making sure that one jurisdiction is not the same or different from another and that you get the same treatment no matter what zip code you're in and you have, you have consistency across the state and that promotes trust and so is trust across the state as well. In their closing remarks, both Representative Entman and Representative Maycumber reminded attendees of the importance of working together to make meaningful change. We'll start with Representative Entman and then close hearing from Representative Maycumber. I know that we have more in common than we differ. And I think that continuing to have these conversations is good for all of us. We have done a lot of hard work on the police accountability legislation, but there is much more legislation that is coming through um, in this legislative session. And so I would ask that you would take the time to watch TVW, listen to some of the testimony, and know that we are thinking about 
all of Washington State, not just the big cities. We're thinking about smaller cities as well. Um, we're thinking about different community elders and young people. And as a legislator, we have to think about our most vulnerable and we have to think about um, how, at the end of the day, how we're going to pay for all these wonderful things that we want in our city and how we are going to prioritize our budgets. So this work is not easy. It is an honor to do it. And I thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. I do wanna give a plug for logging in and testifying on policies. It is so important that for the first time in decades, especially as a legislator from far from the Olympia, that you can have your voice heard and you can testify on a bill. It's really, you know, it's fine to email your legislators. My email went completely down last week. It totally crashed. So I didn't even get emails to after bills were, were voted on. But if you go in and say testify on a bill or have your voice heard on the ledge.wad.gov site, you are equal to everyone else in the state of Washington. Everyone else has the same level voice and you can say pro or con, and then you can give a little explanation. This is something that's never happened in the state of Washington. And then those, those pros and cons, um, the numbers at least are read off at every committee, but it also allows you for the first time to participate. And please just get your communities involved because this is how it should be. We should have people communicating. We should have people involved in legislation and everyone's voices should be heard. I want to give a big thank you to our three representatives for taking the time to speak with us at our 2021 City Action Days. Thank you as well to our members who took the time to attend the roundtable and share their experiences of policing in the community. Before ending today's podcast, I encourage you to follow the advice of our representatives and involve yourself in the legislative process. If you have questions about how to interact with legislators during this virtual session, or just want to learn more about AWC's legislative priorities, please visit our website at wascities.org. The AWC City Voice Podcast is a production of AWC, where our mission is to serve our members through advocacy, education, and services. Please note that audio clips from this session were edited for length and clarity.